some chapters preach faster than others. As we go through um, 1 Corinthians, we've seen we can make it through some relatively quickly, but some is taking a little longer. 13 is taking a little longer. That's where we are this morning. If you have your Bibles, go to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. been listening, you kind of know um, we've been working our way through Corinthians and last week we began to look more deeply into biblical love um, from 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and and what we're going to be talking about today kind of continues on from last week and I want you to know it's applicable to a lot of your relationships. We can learn how to better love our spouses, how to better love our families, our friends, um, our enemies, how many of you know that Christians are called to love their enemies? Amen? Amen. We can uh, better love our enemies. We can love everybody better around us by looking at these verses. But what Paul was really addressing specifically in this chapter was not those relationships, although it is good for those relationships. What Paul is specifically talking about is love in relationship to the church. How the church should love one another. I want you to kind of think back briefly and think about what you remember from 1 Corinthians. Those that have kind of worked their way through with us, remember some of the problems that the Corinthian church was having. Remember they were being divisive and selfish. They were splitting into factions, into cliques. Some were saying, well, Paul baptized me. Others were saying, well, well, Cephas baptized me. And some said, Apollos baptized me. And they were kind of all divided into who was most important, and they were kind of splitting up. They were allowing sin to remain in the church. If you remember, even to the point to where uh, there was known sexual immorality in the church that one of the brothers in the church was involved sexually with his father's wife, his stepmother, and the church wasn't dealing with that. They were taking advantage of the grace of God and they were refusing to limit their liberties for the sake of their brothers and sisters in the church. They were taking each other to court. They had all these problems. That Remember, they came together for the love feast and communion. And, and when they would come together for those things, some that got there first, they were eating all the food and drinking all the wine before everybody else got there. They even had turned the gifts of the Spirit into a competition. They were abusing these gifts and misusing them, and some may even have been faking them. They wanted to seem spiritually superior. And Paul is talking to them now in 1 Corinthians 13 about the solution to these problems. They needed to understand and they needed to practice biblical love towards one another. This is the kind of love that Jesus commanded. And we've been faithful to read it uh, for the past three weeks. I'm going to be faithful to read it again today. John chapter 13, He said, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this all will know that you're My disciples if you have love for one another. Amen? Amen. This is the kind of love that we're talking about this morning. It's the same love that God has for us. He's shown it to us in Christ. It's a love that testifies to the world that we're disciples of Christ. 
It's also a love that testifies to us. This is the evidence that we've passed from death to life. This is how we know because we love each other with God's love. Now I've said that a couple of times and I want to tell you this too, right? You're not going to love perfectly. That's no excuse not to try to love perfectly. You say, well I can't help how I am. That's a lie. We all can help how we are. Amen? There's lots of things I used to be that with God's help, the Spirit's work, and me diving in together with those, I've been able to change about myself. Amen? And so if you think there's something you can't change about you, you, don't, you underestimate the power of the Holy Spirit. He's able to do anything. He's able to change. So Paul uses this letter to the Corinthians to describe this love to them. He wants them to understand this love so that they can live this love out to one another. I believe this is the kind of love people should feel when they belong to a church. When they visit a church, this should be... Listen, a church should be known for their doctrine, for sure. They should have sound, biblical doctrine, but it should also be known for its love. It should be a testimony of a church. It's a place where the saved, those that have been born again, given new life, those that were rescued from hell and redeemed from sin, this is a place where we come together as the adopted family of God to worship the one true God. When we walk through those doors back in the back, our hearts should be overwhelmed by His grace, by His mercy, by His love for us, His greatness, all of those things. And that love and and those characteristics of God should make us want to love one another. So let's read it again. 1 Corinthians 13, 4-7. Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself. It's not puffed up. It does not behave rudely. It does not seek its own. It is not provoked. It thinks no evil. It does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Amen? Those are 15 descriptions of love. And we decided to put them into three categories. Don't forget what we said last week. If you want to love like that, like what we just read, you have to trust God with all your heart. It will take a great trust in God to be willing to, To choose to love others that way. You've got to trust God's promises that He is with you and He won't forsake you because that kind of love gets messy and it gets hard. It's not easy to love like that. You've got to be truly satisfied in the Lord because others, you're going to give your love to some people sometimes and they're not going to give it back. And you've got to know where to get your source from. Where's the well that you can go drink from when a brother or sister isn't meeting your needs? You go to Christ. That's where you go. That's where you're going to find that love. So when I'm loving you imperfectly, you can go to Christ and drink from the well. And if you're loving me imperfectly, rather than me be angry at you, I'm going to go to Christ and drink from Him until our love is perfected. So it's not a perfect love, but it's one that we should strive to live for. 
And you're going to have to trust in Him. Remember the first category we said? Love is stable or faithful is a better way to say it. We talked about the faithfulness, the stability of love last week. This is the Christian's character. They're faithful. They're faithful to one another. Their love is stable for one another. No matter what you've been through this week, you should be able to walk through those doors and know you're going to be loved. Love suffers long. Love is patient. Even when things are hard. Even when things aren't perfect. Even when people aren't perfect. Even when they're not what they should be. Christian love is stable. I don't love you based on how you're acting today. I love you because God loves me. That's stable. Let's be honest this morning. The best example of this is the faithfulness of God's love to us. We wouldn't even be saved this morning if God wasn't faithful. But His faithfulness allows us to stay saved. Amen? Love bears all things. It bears each other's burdens. It's not a fair weather emotion. I don't love you one day and not love you the next. Love hangs in there. When the storm comes, when the hard times come, when it's not easy to love, sometimes people are not easy to love. But love hangs in there. It bears the load. It shelters. It believes all things. Remember what we said? Love is faithful so it doesn't assume the worst about each other. If Brother Wayne does something to me and it hurts a little, you know what I don't do? I don't say, well, Brother Wayne, must he must be mad at me or he must be trying to hurt my feelings. I say, I think Brother Wayne meant it different than what I took it. Because I believe the best about Brother Wayne. I, mean, I choose to believe the best. It hopes all things. No matter how far gone people seem to be or things seem to be, love clings to hope. It endures all things. Remember, it remains committed. And today I want us to look at the second category. Love is not only faithful, love is also humble. Biblical love humbles you and the person you're loving. What does that word mean, humble? I, I, want, I want you to have a, a background thought of what that is. So just for simplicity's sake, let's define it this way. Humility, to be humble, means to be free from pride. Free from selfishness. Free from arrogance. And we're going to see some of these qualities that Paul is going to teach the Corinthian church here. If faithfulness is our character, humility should be our attitude. We humble ourselves before God. That means we fight against our pride. We war against our selfishness. We try to get rid of all arrogance and we trust in God and in Him alone. You know why the Scripture says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. True, genuine humility, just like faithfulness, it's a foundational principle that love is built on. It's a pillar of love. 
Let's look at some of the things that are, that are written here that fall into the category of humility. The first one, love does not envy. This will come across teaching, but this is a teaching lesson because we need to learn this. Love does not envy. Proverbs chapter 14, verse 30. Listen, a sound heart is life to the body, but envy is rottenness to the bones. That should tell us something. Envy is the opposite of a settled or a sound heart. Envy, it, it, it springs from, it's the fruit of discontentment. When we're discontent with ourselves, we envy others. Galatians chapter 5, verse 26, he says, don't become conceited, don't provoke one another, don't envy one another. When, listen, to envy is to look at someone else and compare ourselves to them. And then, listen, it goes further than that. It's not just the comparison. It's we look and we compare and then we get angry at them. Because they have something we don't. They get to do something we don't get to do. They get to... to be something we don't get to be. They get to experience something that we don't get to experience. They're gifted in some way that we wanted to be gifted, but we're not gifted in that way. And instead of being able to rejoice with them and be happy for them, we get angry at them and we think poorly of them. And even at times we hope they mess up or stumble or fall. That's envy. It's a subtle form of jealousy. It's that internal attitude that deep down it causes us to be angry and lose our love for other people because they have what we wanted. You know what it comes across as sometimes? Competitiveness. It can be very competitive. This was the envy was the sin of the elder brother in the story of the prodigal. Remember that? The elder brother, he loses all of his joy, all of his peace, all of his happiness because he sees the younger brother with the robe and the ring and the fatted calf and he says, that should have been mine. He sees the big celebration that the father's throwing and he says, you don't ever celebrate me. That's envy. That's what that is. And he's so filled with envy that he the Scripture doesn't even record that he could rejoice that his lost brother came home. We can get so filled with envy that we can, we can ruin somebody else's blessings. You remember what his father told him when he, just as a side note, the older brother who had all that envy in his heart, and he, he, his father was, his father went outside. He saw his brother looking in there at the party, and he went outside to meet him. And his son chastened him, and he said, "I've been here, been faithful all these years. I've done all these things, and you do this for him." What did his father say? He said, "Son, you are always with me." And everything that I have is yours. 
Envy forgets that. Envy causes us to lose sight that we're loved by our Father even if we don't have what so-and-so has. You can trust. I wish I could get that through to all of us this morning. That when we're faithful to God, God sees that faithfulness and we are always with Him and He's always with us. Never leaves. Never forsakes. Even if you look around and you see someone who seems to be gifted more or blessed more or whatever, even if, you're, even if your eyes begin to wander, what you need to know is you need to trust that God is loving you deeply and giving you exactly what you need. Do it the same for them. It wasn't just the, the, the prodigal's brother. Remember Joseph's brothers? They were consumed with envy. They wanted their father to love them and pay attention to them the way that he loved Joseph, the youngest of them. They wanted that so much that their hearts became bitter towards Joseph. They tried to kill him and they eventually ended up selling him into slavery. And they lied to cover it all up. That's what envy works. Jonathan Edwards, he said this, For the envious make themselves trouble most needlessly, being uncomfortable only because of others' prosperity, when their prosperity doesn't even hurt them. It doesn't diminish their enjoyments. It doesn't lessen their blessings. But they're not willing to enjoy what they have because others are enjoying what they don't have. That's envy. Envy and humility cannot coexist. Where there's envy, there's pride. How do you deal with pride? Through repentance. It's the only way. We've got to remember we've got a Father that loves us. He's giving us exactly what we need. Let's look at the second thing. Love does not parade itself. That's an easy illustration for us. Think of a float in a parade. We've done floats in the parade for the past few years. And listen, what do we do? We decorate them. We make them big. We string all kinds of lights and try to make them bright. We play loud music. Why do we do all that? Because we want our float to be seen. Right? We, we, we don't want to, nobody enters a parade and says, I hope nobody sees our float. <laughs> if they do, they made a terrible float. You want to show it off in a parade. And there are so many professing Christians who live like this. They parade their good works so that they can be seen. They want to show them off. They want to hear other people say how wonderful they are. You see those, we've talked about it before. You see those videos on Facebook where people go up to a homeless person and they give them food, they give them shoes, they give them clothes, and all the while they get that camera stuck right in their face so that they can record their good works and show it to you so that you'll think, oh, they must be a great person. It's exactly what Paul's talking about here when he says it doesn't parade itself. Listen, it's boasting, it's clamoring for people's attention to compliment you. It's finding your worth and how many people tell you that you're wonderful. Can I tell you today, honestly, there are people who love to tell others about the works they're doing. They love to. 
They'll tell you all about how they were able to bless somebody. It shows up oftentimes in the form of a testimony. Right? I just want to thank God that I was able to do this. That's not a testimony. That's you bragging. I was able to do this good thing. Well, you say, well, Bill, I'm just saying I was able to because God blessed me. Then go to God privately and thank God for that. Don't stand up and tell everybody about the good things you're doing. I'm just being honest with you this morning. If you want to thank the Lord for something He's done in your life, then thank Him for who He is, not for what you've done. That's a testimony. If you keep a record of all the good things you do for others and you go around talking about them and reminding people and especially reminding the person you did good for, that's not love. It's just bragging. Reminds you of what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6. He said, Take heed that you don't do your charitable deeds before men to be seen by them. Otherwise, you have no reward from your Father in heaven. Can you, can you imagine the heap of rewards that have been lost when somebody does something good, but they simply cannot not stand up and tell everybody about their good works? Therefore, when you do a charitable deed, don't sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogue and in the streets that they may have glory from men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. They got the adoration of men. They got that like on Facebook. I hope it's eternal, but it's not. See, love doesn't behave like that. When we trust God enough to love others, we don't have to brag about what we've done. We know that God sees it, and God who sees in secret will reward openly at the right time. We're happy to do our good works. We should be happy to do good things for our brothers and sisters in the church without broadcasting them to everyone. Listen, this is important for some folks. Me especially. Biblical love should allow us not to worry about impressing other people because our worth is found in Christ, not in our works. We don't need the accolades of men. We don't need the praise of men. We don't need glory from men. We don't need Facebook lights or little heart symbols or any of those things uh, to feel good about ourselves. Our worth is in Christ. <coughs> this is what Galatians 6.14 teaches us. Right? What does Paul say? God forbid that I should boast in anything except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. By whom the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Amen? In other words, we don't brag about our love. Love is authentic. It doesn't need to tell everyone about all it does for everybody else. Amen? Let's look at the next one. Love is not puffed up or is not arrogant. This means love isn't consumed with itself. This means that there are people who have inflated views of themselves. 
Not just the, I'm not talking about just their looks. You can be puffed up in your opinion. You can think that your opinion is better than everybody else's. That's puffed up. You can be puffed up in your your way of doing things. You can say, this is the way it has to be done. It has to be my way. That's arrogance. Things don't have to be done your way. You can be puffed up in your abilities, in your talents, in your knowledge. You can be so much so that you can't focus on anything or anyone else but yourself. When you get like this, you struggle to put other people's interests before your own. You struggle to listen to other people's opinions. You struggle to learn from anybody else. You don't ever enjoy people's talents and compliments and and never, I mean, you never compliment them for their abilities because you're so worried to make sure everybody knows how good you are. You know how else it shows up? That arrogance shows up? It comes in the form of thinking you're above reproach. (coughs) Nobody has the right to correct you. Nobody has the right to hold you accountable. Nobody has the right to tell you anything. That's arrogance. Romans 12.3 He said, For I say through the grace given to me to everyone that's among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly or rightly as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. You see, choosing to love people biblically destroys arrogance. It destroys pride. It chooses to put other people first. It's willing to listen. It's willing to be held accountable. It's willing to learn. You know why it's hard for some people to learn? Because they think they know everything already. When you know everything already, it's real hard to learn. Love chooses to celebrate other people. It chooses to celebrate their gifts, their callings, their talents. You're not in competition with them. You don't have to compare yourself to them. You can simply enjoy what God is doing in somebody else and know that God is doing good things in you. It's not a spiritual competition. It's a family. That's what Paul's been teaching. He said, we're all one body, different members, but one body. Every part's important. Every part is needful. Every part is special in its own way. Arms and hands don't have to compete with each other. They just have to work together. So it is in the church. We don't have to compete with one another. We just have to work together. Whether we like to admit it or not, or whether we want to acknowledge it or not, this arrogance and this prideful spirit, it's a sign that we don't love others because we're so busy loving ourselves. Even to the point where the Bible says, if you want to be qualified to be an elder in the church, you must not be a novice. 
That means you, you must not be a brand new believer. Why? Why couldn't a brand new believer be an elder in the church? Because it says he'll come, he'll become puffed up in pride. Listen to how he says it. He says he'll become puffed up in pride and fall into the same condemnation as the devil. What condemnation is that? What pride overtook the devil? Well, he thought that he should be God. And that's what happens to a novice when they're put in the position of an elder. All of a sudden, they think that they are large and in charge. Let's go to the next one. I'm trying to make my way through them. I'm sorry. Love does not behave rudely. We don't need to be long description for that, do we? If you want to love people, you can't treat them rudely. That means you don't intentionally or knowingly offend or embarrass someone. You don't intentionally hurt people with your words or with your actions. Biblical love has good manners. You staying with me this morning? If you love somebody, you treat them with respect. Let, let me say this. Maybe this will make sense. Most often what we do, we, we paint rudeness. We put a little makeup on rudeness. And this is how we make it look. We'll say, we'll, say, well I'm not trying to be rude. I'm just being honest. You ever done that? I'm just being honest. That's what people say right before they say something hurtful. I just got to be honest. Well, great. Honesty is a good thing. I'm thankful for honesty. We should be honest with people. But can I tell you this? You can still be honest and respectful. You can be honest and kind. And if you don't know how to do that, start studying and praying because the answer is in this book. Nobody deserves to be treated rudely. Uh, one time, Chess and I went out to eat. I've told you this story before, or some of you before. We went out to eat on a Sunday after church. And I was talking to the waitress. And she said, Sundays are the worst. And I, and I said, oh, because you're so busy, the church crowd. She said, it's not because I'm busy. It's because of the church crowd. She said, they're the rudest people I've ever seen. They're so rude. She said, they don't tip. They constantly complain. Nothing satisfies them. Brethren, that should not be our testimony. We ought to be able to walk into a place People ought to say, I look forward to having those Christians come in and eat. They're such kind people. They're such good people. They're so respectful. They're so loving and caring. Not they're so rude. People don't deserve to be treated rudely. Let's look at the next one. Love does not seek its own. Another aspect of humility. Those that are ruled by love, that are governed by love, 
They're not selfish. They're not selfish. They don't have to have everything their way. They're willing to lay aside their wants. They prefer to look out for the interest of others more than they do for themselves. You know our society teaches the exact opposite of that. The way of the world is to look out for old number one. Look out for yourself. But the way of the Scriptures, biblical love doesn't teach that. Biblical love is to willingly and joyfully serve one another. And it takes humility to willingly choose and I, and I try to say that as much as I can in this message because I want you to know it is a willing choice you have to make if you want to love like this. This love doesn't come natural. This love is learned and practiced and lived out until it becomes natural. To willingly choose to put someone else's needs and wants above your own to not really want to do something, but to say, they want this done, I'm, I'm willing to do this. To, 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 to sacrifice your wants at times for the wants of others. To sacrifice for the good of someone besides yourself. If this is lived out in the church when it happens, then we come to church not to be served, but to serve. We don't come with a list of demands to the church and we, we sit down and say, why ain't this right? Why ain't this done? Why ain't this happening? And why? You, know, I, you come and you say, how can I jump in and help get the things accomplished that need to be accomplished? You say, well, I'm not going to make anybody. I'm not going to be a servant to anybody. I'm not doing that. I'm no man's servant. I just caution you and remind you the Scripture says through love serve one another. Serve one another. When a church comes together it should be one loving one person loving this person and while you're giving your love to that person someone else is giving their love to you. It's a chain. Think about it like that. It's a it's a it's a chain that's happening. It's like each person is desiring the joy and the satisfaction and the rest and the blessing of somebody else. And while they're trying to meet your needs, someone's trying to meet their needs. But a, but a chain is only as strong as its weakest link. When we come into the church with this attitude of I should be served. It's all about me. I think. I want. I expect. Then we weaken the chain. And eventually it breaks. Love doesn't seek its own. It sacrifices. It seeks the best for others. Listen to this one. You're going to love this one. 
Love is not easily provoked. You know what that means? Love isn't easily angered. It also means love isn't easily offended. Love doesn't let anger get out of control. Love doesn't blow up and lose its temper all the time. Anger, bitterness, being offended, these are real everyday problems for some people. Some people are angry every day. I believe all people are angry sometimes. But some people are angry all the time. The Scripture makes it clear. There is such a thing as a righteous anger, a righteous indignation, an anger that is justifiable. But the truth is, many times our anger is not righteous. Sometimes our anger is because we didn't get what we wanted. We didn't like what somebody said. We don't like what somebody did. And somehow, some way, we have become personally offended. We live in the most offended society I've ever seen today. No matter what anybody says or anybody does or anybody thinks, somebody's offended by it. And we have to walk around on eggshells all the time trying not to offend. It's impossible. Can I tell you this? Love has thick skin. Love should have some pretty thick skin. If you cannot control your anger, if you cannot control your temper, if you can't keep yourself in check, if you're easily provoked, you're not living in the spirit of biblical love. And anger is a very dangerous thing. Let me, let me share with you some scriptures. Proverbs chapter 29, verse 22. An angry man stirs up strife. And a furious man abounds in transgressions. Sure enough, we understand that, right? An angry man will stir it up. You'll get other people angry. And a furious man, a man that's lost control of his anger, he begins to abound. In other words, Right behind anger, sin is knocking at the door. It's coming. Men, we should not let our tempers get the better of us. Proverbs 21, 19. I'll throw this one in. It's better to dwell in the wilderness than with a contentious and angry woman. all God's people said, praise the Lord. <laughs> Amen. That's a fact. It's, it's undisputable. It's in the Scripture. Honestly, think about it. Think about what it's saying. It's funny, but think about it. It's better to be homeless and have to live in the woods than to have to stay in a house with a woman that's angry all the time. Psalms 37, 8. Listen to the instruction. Cease from anger and forsake wrath. Do not fret 
It only causes harm. Cease from anger. Stop letting wrath rule you. Stop fretting about everything. It only causes you harm. Most of the time, your anger don't hurt nobody but you. All you do is swim in it. Everybody else is fine. You're the only one mad. The Bible says in Colossians, it says put away from yourself anger and wrath and malice. And it teaches us in James, I believe, it says be quick to, 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 to hear and slow to speak and slow to get angry. It should be a long journey before you get mad. The question is, are you easily provoked? Are you quickly offended? Are you hot-tempered? If you are, you're working against the love that God wants you to have for others. You've got to fight against that nature. I know it's there in all of us. We all at times have that anger bubbling up inside of us. But when it begins, you fight against it. You go to battle. And instead you say, I'm going to put on tender mercy, forgiveness, forbearance. Those things that come from the Spirit of God. Let's look at the last one under the category of humility. Love thinks no evil. My opinion, this is best translated by saying love does not take into account a wrong suffered. What it literally means is love doesn't keep a record of failures. It doesn't keep a record of wrongs. It doesn't keep a record of mistakes. This is a big one, church. If you're going to have biblical love, if you're going to be able to spend your life together with people in a church, or even if you're going to have a happy marriage or a, a family that enjoys time together, you're, listen, you can guarantee if you're around anybody for any length of time, they're going to make some mistakes. They're going to do some wrong things along the way. And you'll have to be faced with that tough decision. Are you going to keep a record of those wrongs? Or are you going to forgive? A lot of people bury the hatchet, but they leave the handle sticking out. That way they can go by and grab it ever so often and get it back out again and beat you with it. They keep a record of wrongs. But love doesn't do that. Let me say this. It's practically, I believe, practically impossible to forgive a wrong done to you. But it is not impossible to not bring that wrong up. I understand that, and I'm thankful for this. I'm thankful by the grace of God that God is able to forgive and forget. However, I've not met many people in my life who's able to do that. But if you have self-control, 
What you can do, even though you remember the wrong done, even though you remember it, you can choose not to bring it back up all the time. That's true and good for a healthy for a church, by the way. Instead of every time you see old sister so-and-so, and you think, well, she did this, and I still, I'm just so frustrated. She Just let it go. Let it go. Some, some people are still mad about things that somebody did years ago. Just give it up. Stop holding people hostage with their past. If somebody hurts you, if somebody done something to you, it is very biblical and very right for you to confront that person lovingly and meekly and talk to them about it and to try to work through that problem with that person. And it's very possible that you won't get it all worked out the way you hoped you would. It's very possible that maybe they don't respond to it. But after you've done all you can do, let it go. Let it go. Go on from it. I'm convinced over the years that many people have left the church. I'm talking about the body of Christ as a whole because they have refused. They've refused to not keep a record of wrongs. They just constantly are marking down what so-and-so is doing. What's this doing? What's that one doing? And they just have this huge record of wrongs and they get so angry and so provoked and so frustrated that eventually that list gets so long they can no longer bear it and they leave. And they never get healing. Because they never do what the Scripture says to do. If I'm angry at my brother, I go to my brother. And I talk to my brother. And I work it out with my brother. And I forgive my brother even if he doesn't ask me to forgive him. Even if I go to my brother, if I went to Brother Joel and I said, Joel, I've got a problem with you. I've got, you know, you, you said this and I'm angry and I'm upset that you did this thing or whatever. And Joel says, sorry, not sorry. I don't care that you're mad. That would be an unbiblical response on his part. But you know what? Even if he said that, you know what I have to do? It's not easy to be a Christian, by the way. You know what I have to do? I have to swallow my pride and say, it's alright. I love Joel anyways. I'm going to love Joel. I'm choosing to love Joel even though, I'm, even though it hurt a little. Love is humble. Just like it's faithful. And here's why that should matter to you. It's the same reason that it should matter that love is faithful. Because you're loved by God with that same type of love that I just described. I don't know about you this morning, but I'm thankful this morning that the Lord doesn't keep a record of my wrongs. I'm thankful that He has cast my sins as far as the east is from the west. I'm thankful that He said, I believe in the book of Isaiah, He said, and I will remember their sins no more. He chooses to forget those things about us. I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful that He's not easily provoked by my failures. It's by God's mercy that we're not consumed any day. 
I'm thankful that He's patient and loving and caring and that He's humble and faithful. I'm thankful that He did not seek His own. But instead, the Bible says in Matthew chapter 20, I believe it is, He says that the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give His life a ransom for many. 1 Peter chapter 2, I'm thankful. He says, For to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow His steps, who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in His mouth. Listen at the description of this. Who when He was reviled, He did not revile in return. When He suffered, He did not threaten. But He committed Himself to Him who judges righteously. In other words, He trusted the Father. He didn't have to take vengeance. He didn't have to make threats. He didn't have to say hateful, mean things. He just trusted. He committed Himself to the Father who Himself, listen, Christ bore our sins in His own body on the tree. That we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness by whose stripes you were healed. Amen? Oh, what a Savior. Oh, hallelujah. Guys, we can love like this. This is not an impossible form of love. We'll not do it perfectly. We'll not do it exactly right all the time. We'll stumble and mess up and fall. But we can do this. As we stand together this morning, I want to read this to you again, but I'm going to read it to you in the form of questions as you begin to consider your heart this morning. This is a good time. It's the end of our service. It's a good time for prayer. It's a good time for self-examination. It's a good time for us to begin to look deeply into our hearts and to see about this love. Are we loving this way? This is a good time for us to consider that. Bow your heads with me for a moment and listen to the questions. And if you need to come to the altar, begin to make your way up and pray, that's okay. That's a blessing, a good thing. Are you patient and kind? Do you sometimes look at others with envy? Do you parade your good works at times for others to see? Do you find at times you're a little too prideful? Do you behave rudely? Do you offend people frequently? Do you look deep down? Do you want to be served, but not to serve? Are you easily angered? Short-tempered? Have you been guilty of keeping a record of others' wrongs? If so, I encourage you this morning to repent of any of those things. 
Just ask God for help. To love like He loves. Repent and ask forgiveness and say, God, fill my heart with Your love. I want to love others the way You love me. You might be here this morning. There's many at the altar praying, but you're here this morning and you've never experienced God's love. I want you to know this morning that God is love. All the things I just read, God wants to pour those things on you. If you're lost this morning and in this church and you don't know the Savior, you've never been saved. But you want to feel that kind of love? Can I just tell you this morning? You can. It is by grace that you're saved through faith. Not of works. It's by grace alone, through faith alone in Christ alone, that we come to salvation, that we're filled with this kind of love. If you need to be saved, then you should be. You just trust in Christ. As we join together with these at the altar in prayer. Father, we thank You so much for the love that You show us each and every day. We thank You, God, for Your kindness, Your mercy, Your grace. We thank You for all that You give us. God, I have been so guilty at times of not loving people this way. For being selfish. For behaving rudely. I have done those things, Father, and I ask for Your forgiveness this morning. I ask, God, that You would help me. That You would strengthen me, God, to be a better servant to others. That You would guide me and direct me and help me in every way. God, I ask that You would show me how to love and teach me how to love like this. God, I'm so thankful for my church family. I'm thankful for my, my family at home, my wife, my children. My friends, God, I'm so thankful. God, I want to love them like this. The way they deserve to be loved, God. It's the way that You love me. I'm so thankful that You love me like this, Lord. I'm so grateful for all the love that You show us. God, I pray for these that are gathered at the altar today, God, that You would bless them, Lord. That You would hear their cry, God. That You would meet the needs of their hearts today, God. That You would... Touch them and fill them with Your love, God. And whatever they need, God, that You would supply that need for them. And God, I thank You so much. And I praise You and I love You. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now don't forget, I want you to join us at the marina. We're going to go down. It'll probably be about 1.15. I know that's a little, it's, it, it'll be a few minutes by the time we get everybody out.